0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm editor Candace Gibson, joined by staff writer Jane McGrath. Hey! We got an email from one of our favorite listeners named Shiro, and he is just full of so many wonderful ideas for the podcast. And one of the ideas he suggested to us was the Navajo Code Talkers, and I got really excited about Shiro's idea. and did I. As, as did Jane. And so we thought, well, that's it. We're going to do it. So you could very well be the next lucky person whose idea gets podcasted about. So email us at podcast at howstuffworks.com.
1: And now on with the Navajos. That's right. And uh, to give you some context, we have uh, the idea that codes in war are very important because the Japanese in World War II were able to um, basically tap into communications between the Allied forces and intercept these communications. They're sometimes able to take issue, false commands even and like organize ambushes on Allied troops. And so obviously the Allies had to come up with codes that were inevitably broken by the Japanese. The Japanese were so good at code breaking uh, that they would break every code that the Allies came up with. And this is so frustrating. The The
0: Japanese had even sent uh, some of their men to the United States to study the language. They knew English perfectly. They could imitate the accent. And the Germans, who the Navajo code talkers didn't really have to interact with, but were still a major force in World War II, they sent some of their men over to Native American reservations in the United States to pose as art dealers and other, you know, anthropologists so that they could pick up on Native American languages because the United States was known to have used Choctaw and other, as many as, I think, 18 different tribes influences mm-hmm. from their languages in World War I. So, yeah, and
1: that's one thing I hadn't heard about was the use of the American Indian languages in World War One. And it's interesting that I, I believe it was Hitler who had had these anthropologists go over that he had the foresight to at least try to understand these languages to break any codes that the Americans would come up with. And so it was a monumental task. And because World
0: War II was conducted over a span of islands that were thousands of miles apart in some instances, the United States had to have a way of sending messages that the Japanese would not interpret. And it was really sort of a lost cause until Philip Johnston, who was raised on a Navajo reservation with his missionary parents, went to a naval station in Los Angeles and said, I've got this idea. Uh, the Navajo language is virtually unknown to any more than like 40 non-Navajos. It's almost impossible mm-hmm. to understand. It's completely oral. It's never been written down. I think that this might really work.
1: That's right. And it also was a great advantage because it was so fast to to use as a code. Codes before that it took hours to send and decode a message sent through uh, among Allied troops. And the machines, at the very least, would take 30 minutes. And compare this to about 20 seconds that it took Navajos to code and decode a message when Philip Johnston had them demonstrated. It It was just wild, the celerity with which they worked, and not just the the speed, but the accuracy,
0: too. And Johnston really was advocating for the Navajos' language to be used because the Navajos had been educated in American schools. And let me give you guys a little bit of background on this. Uh, the Navajos were pretty much isolated in the southwest United States. They they had their home between what they called the Four Sacred Mountains, and so their language is very much consolidated within this area, and language is essential to their culture. They believe that the universe and language were sort of created in tandem, the first four words being light, earth, water and air. And it's a very precise language, too. And different inflections and different tonalities convey entirely different meanings. So the Navajos were within this, this corner of the United States, within the four sacred mountains. And, uh, gradually they began to be pushed out first by Spanish invaders and then by the United States. And, uh, General Sherman of Civil War fame is very well known for discussing what he called the Navajo problem and beginning the process of eradication. And he was even quoted just saying that their attempts at civilization are ridiculous, and so the Navajos were pushed out of their reservation. Yeah, and, and they were they were made to go live mm-hmm. in New Mexico until 1868, when a leader named barbancito negotiated for the Navajo to return to their land, and in exchange, their children would be raised in U.S. schools and completely give up their culture. And it got to a point where children who even spoke the Navajo language and were overheard were um were beaten or punished, and their mouths were washed out. So essentially, the Navajo culture had been somewhat annihilated and completely brushed aside,
1: and then mm-hmm. it rose back up into question again. That's right, and thank goodness that it wasn't eradicated completely because it ended up saving battle-saving lives in World War II. And some Navajos recount that when they heard the news of Pearl Harbor, there were as many
0: as a 100 men who went to a naval station to report for duty, and they even brought their own weapons in some cases because Navajo culture is very much mm-hmm. rooted in the idea of protecting the homeland even the homeland that had spurned them for so long.
1: Right. And um, not all Navajos were code talkers, but many of them were. It's estimated between 375 and about 420 uh, Navajos w- served as code talkers. And it's interesting to note how the code actually worked, because the language itself was very complex, only about 30 non-Navajos actually spoke the language in the world, like on the planet. But they added an extra twist to the code that made it even more difficult, and that was even if you translated all these uh, uh, Navajo words into English correctly, it would still sound like a random chain of words. And that was because what you're supposed to do when you got the message was only take the first letter of the English translation and put those together to make an understandable message. And what made it so unique was that there were
0: plenty of military terms that the Navajos didn't have words for at all. So Mm -hmm. something like hummingbird would refer to a fighter plane and a dive bomber would be a chicken hawk. So there was this added layer of mystery and even when they thought that the enemy might be getting too close to figuring out what the word stood for, they would take the letter A and come up with
1: three different English words that Mm -hmm. could be derived from it. That's right. So they mixed it up. And like, as you say, not all words had to be um, spelled out letter by letter. They had those code words that um, were, were still shrouded in a, in a level of mystery. So the high point of the Navajo
0: Code came after the demonstration that Johnston conducted for General Clayton B. Vogel, and that's when Jane mentioned he demonstrated that a message that could take as much as 30 minutes to transmit via uh, a cryptograph or other machine took 20 seconds for the Navajos, and the 382nd Platoon Coding Unit was formed, and recruiters from the Marines went to different reservations to get Navajos, and um, they had an outpouring of response, and some of the men lied on their applications because they were too young to go and at Mm -hmm. least one lied because he was too old to go and they went to boot camp just like any other recruit and then they were taken to Camp Elliott to develop their code and it was never, ever, ever written down and it evolved from 211 to 411 words and the Navajo were given a lot of creative freedom and developing the code on their own.
1: That's right. And uh, to go back to how complex the code was, even when Navajo soldier who was actually not trained in the code, this this uh, soldier was not trained but he understood the Navajo language, when he was captured in Bataan by the Axis troops, they ordered him to try to translate it. And he never understood what the message was because of the added complexity of the code. That sort of gave rise to the
0: premise on which the Nicolas Cage movie Talkers is based. And that's the idea that for every Navajo code talker in the field, there was a secret bodyguard who followed him and was supposed to kill him if he were captured so that he couldn't share the code. And we don't know for sure if that was actually a component of the Mm -hmm. Navajo code talker equation. The military is not confirming or denying it, but it's, you know, it's sort of interesting to think about. It's an interesting twist
1: to the story. That's right. And one of the... Great quotes that I found about their significance to the war in general, uh, was from the Battle of Iwo Jima. There was a Major Howard Connor who was an officer there, and he had six Navajo code talkers working around the clock during the battle, and he said later on, were it not for the Navajos, the Marines would have never taken Iwo Jima.
0: Yeah, on Iwo Jima, it was amazing. We're talking about almost a a 36-day-long battle with about 48 straight hours of mm. coding and translating and decoding. About 800 messages were sent without a single mistake.
1: That's and incredible. Yeah.
0: It is incredible. And the irony is that when the Navajo Code Talkers, they were the first 29, one of the 30 that were originally recruited, um, dropped out after... After training, the first 29, two stayed behind, 27 went over to the battlefields. Um, They weren't used at first because people weren't sure that they could really trust them in the thick of battle, and they thought that Troops might be too caught up in military maneuvers to really need their codes. And so it took a while to build trust for the Navajos to be used for their intended purpose. At first, they were just used mm-hmm. for running messages. They were just runners, and others were, you know, handed weapons and, and told to fight. But Little the, did they know. Huh? Little did they yeah. know. And the Marine Raiders were the group that really put them to the test. And they proved themselves, especially— um, at Saipan, one group of allies was being bombed by their own men, and they didn't know. And they kept trying to radio to say, "Stop, stop! This is us," you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. And finally, they were able to say, "Have you got a Navajo code talker there?" And as soon as the Navajo code talker sent the message that these were friendly troops that they're firing on, the the firing immediately ceased. So wow. the power that they held was just immeasurable. And what's sad is that after Iwo Jima was taken and after, you know, the the bombs were dropped on Japan and, and the war was in essence over the Navajo co-talkers were discharged.
1: And they couldn't really talk about what their contribution to the war, how no matter how great it was, um, because it's it still the, the um, Marines wanted to keep a hold on it to use in, in future battles or, or what have you. And so it actually remained classified until at least 1968, which is just, you can think of like, think of what, a contribution you made to the country that you know has betrayed your people in the past, and you've done so much great work, and you come home and you can't talk about it. It made it difficult for the
0: co talkers who returned to the reservation and those who went out to seek jobs because they couldn't account for what they'd been doing with the past couple of years of their lives, and they couldn't say what they'd been doing. They you know had to either fabricate stories or, or keep silent and we know that today there are plenty of soldiers who are coming home and you know they they have these dreams and awful memories and and psychological uh Reckonings that they're, they're dealing with after all that they witnessed in war. And Iwo Jima, especially, we're talking about a, a volcano where the Japanese were lucky enough to have dug trenches, but the Americans were fighting on top, covered in volcanic dust, being slaughtered. All the Japanese had orders to kill at least 10 Americans. And the Navajos had to come home and have these memories, and they couldn't talk about them, and they couldn't mm-hmm. share them, and they had no way to really get help for dealing with the after effects of war. Yeah. And so when the information was declassified, and they were finally on, Honored For their service, we, we see that, you know, these things are, are still coming up. The Navajo co-talkers are still talking about the memories that they have.
1: Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, it's testament to how well it worked that the, the um, Marines still wanted to use it because the it's true, the Japanese never broke it. And uh, it's testament to how effective they were and how great, great soldiers they were.
0: And so, finally, we see that they were paid homage back in 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of the five living original 29 were honored with Congressional Gold Medals. And uh, others that went in succession after the first 29, they were given Congressional Silver Medals. About time. About time, definitely. So, if you want to read more about the Navajos and about how code breakers work, be sure to check out our articles on HowStuffWorks.com.